Before we open God's word, let's bow for a word of prayer. Holy art thou, O Heavenly Father, thou who didst create and form the world and the entire universe, all that we can see and even those things which we cannot. Thou who didst create even man in thine own image and didst breathe the breath of life into him. It is to thy name that we turn to now this afternoon hour. To thy name alone, Heavenly Father, for all glory and all praise thou art worthy of and thou alone. Thou art all loving, thou art almighty, Heavenly Father, and thou dost love each and every one and art willing to accept all who would turn to thee and give their life to thee, Heavenly Father, in service and through faith in thy Son, Jesus Christ, and his atoning work on the cross. And for that we thank thee, Heavenly Father, that we have the ability to have life and life more abundant. We entreat thee now this afternoon hour and ask that thou would speak to us anew. We thank thee for thy message which has gone out this morning, for the ability that we have even in this country to gather together freely, to open thy word freely whenever we want, wherever we want. And we pray that our governments would make those decisions to allow us to continue therein, that thy gospel message might be preached that thy truth might go out and be proclaimed in this world that is ever growing dimmer by the day, Heavenly Father. And so we look to thy word now for instruction, for guidance, for exhortation, Heavenly Father, and we ask that thou would speak to us despite the weakness of thy servant, that thou wouldst remove all cares and concerns of this life and distractions of this life, and that we would meditate now on thy ways in thy word, and we look to thee, Heavenly Father, for a blessing and for the increase. For this we pray and ask in Jesus' name. Amen. For this afternoon's meditation, I have found and wished to read out of 2 Philippians, Philippians chapter 2, Philippians chapter 2, beginning on verse 5. Philippians chapter 2 beginning on verse 5. As I meditated uh, upon this morning's message, the thought came to my mind as to what great length our God went to and went through to pursue us that we, in turn, might be changed, that we might leave here changed. And this is the extent to which God pursued us, that we can leave here in that manner. Apostle Paul exhorts the Philippians to 
put on the mind of Christ, he says in verse 5 of chapter 2, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. And he reminds them that this mind ought to be in them. In verse 6, he says, who, being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Wherefore, God also hath highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth. I wish to conclude reading with verse 10. This is the extent to which our God pursued reconciliation with his creation. As we have read even this morning hour from 2 Corinthians chapter 5, we can read that for by one man all sins were forgiven, or can be forgiven for that matter, whosoever seeks reconciliation with our God. And I'd like to maybe just read a, a verse from that same chapter that was also mentioned this morning in uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 5. We can read in verse 15, it says, And that he died for all, that they which live should not henceforth live unto themselves, but unto him which died for them and rose. Again, even before that, in verse 14, it says in the latter half, that if one died for all, then we're all dead. But God, thanks be to him, did not want to leave us in that state but he provided a way through his son, Jesus Christ, that we could be reconciled to him, that we can be transformed, even as we have heard of this morning hour. And when I, too, meditated upon the theme of this weekend about leaving here changed, many things crossed my mind. And leaving here changed could mean many things. Leaving here changed could potentially in our own minds mean coming in here with a suit and tie and leaving in jeans and a sweater because we're going home. Leaving here changed could mean we came hungry because we rushed to church and really didn't eat a good breakfast. But thanks be to the hospitality of the church and the kitchen workers, we're now full after eating lunch. But that's not what we're talking about when we talk about leaving here changed. You see, in this life, it was mentioned this morning hour, sometimes there are events in our own lives that can cause us to change. There are even events within this world around us, which many of us have seen and witnessed, which not only cause us to change, but which can cause the entire world to change. 
The change we are talking about, though, when talking about leaving here changed, is the change of making or becoming different within our hearts, within the inner man. It's a change of being replaced with another or switching one for another. It's a change of course and direction and ultimately, as was mentioned this morning hour, it's to undergo a transformation. What is that change and transformation with God, which God wants of us and desires of us? Well, ultimately, to put it simply, it's a change from sinner to saint. It's a change from one who was lost to one that is found. It is a change of one who was an alien and stranger to one that is now a child and a servant. This is the change that God wants of us. For us who have already believed, the change that God wants of us is to conform more and more closely to the image of his Son. And while the the large change of a sinner to a saint may not be the case for each of us who have gathered together here in this day before we leave. I pray that it is. But we can still leave here changed, if not to that extreme. You see, we have all been blessed with, we have all been imparted with, and is my faith that we all will leave with something in this day. Throughout the morning, throughout this afternoon, and God willing, throughout the choir program, we will all be imparted with a seed. And we can leave here changed if we resolve within our own selves on what to do with that seed when we leave these doors. And as I talk about seeds, I'd like to share an account, which I've read many years ago, that I thought would be fitting for this occasion. And it is account just that of a seed, six of them to be in particular. You see, in 1963, in the southern district of modern-day Israel, a district in an area known as Masada, which is a fortification of ancient landmarks, there was a team of archaeologists that were digging through the ruins. And as they dug through what they believed to be Herod's um, palace, they found therein and unearthed a clay jar. And in this clay jar were six seeds. The seeds were taken to be examined and radiocarbon dated. 
And the seeds were determined to be that of the extinct Judean date palm. Furthermore, the seeds were dated at 2,000 years old. For those of us that may know this, the Judean date palm ceased to exist nearly 1,500 years ago, according to experts, and is no longer around. And so as such, these seeds were preserved and then taken to be stored at a university in Tel Aviv. This happened in 1963. And those seeds remained there for 42 years, up until 2005, which is when an agriculturalist and an expert and a doctor by the name of, I believe it was Eleni Soloway, pleaded with the university and the archaeologists to give her the seeds. And she was persistent. And at first, they did not want to give up those seeds. And they even told her she was crazy. But her persistence paid off. And she was given those seeds. And I'd like to pause the story there for a moment as I talk about what God would have from each and every one of us, and especially my friend in this day. As we have heard this morning hour, God wants a transformation from us. And I thought, what better to describe this transformation or to summarize it, if you will, than to perhaps read some of our statements of faith, which I think so eloquently and simply exemplify the key elements in which God expects of us and desires of us. Our statement of faith, number six, says this, we believe that all are sinners and lost awaiting the judgment of God. Second Corinthians chapter five also mentions that, that we all must sit or stand before the judgment seat of Christ. But, it says in that statement of faith, God is not willing that any should perish. You see, if we are to undergo a transformation, we must first realize that we, must, we are in a state in need of reconciliation. We must realize that we are sinners and that if left in that way, the penalty of sin is death. And so the start, Solomon actually puts in his Proverbs, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And we have to realize and recognize our state before our Almighty God if we are then even able to react and respond, to heed the call and answer it on what we are asked to do in accordance with God's word and his instructions. Our statement of faith Number seven says that we believe that the sinner may have salvation through repentance towards God and faith in Jesus Christ. These are two key elements 
which the Lord our God asks of us if we are to be reconciled with our God. Jesus says that I am the way. No man cometh unto the Father except by me. And so we have to realize and recognize that first and foremost, we are, we are a sinner. We must turn from that desire to alter course, and we must have faith in Jesus Christ. This is statement of faith number seven. Statement of faith then, number eight and nine, go like this. We believe that a saving faith will result in the regeneration by the Holy Spirit and by the Word of God, without which there is no salvation. And we believe in the baptism of the Holy Spirit, by which the believer is empowered to live a godly life in unity with Christ. You see, God does not leave us comfortless. He does not leave us alone to wander this path. He simply calls us and wants us to respond. Respond by a repented heart, a broken and a contrite heart, and respond by seeking him, by having faith in him, and then he will do the rest. He promises to send us a comforter, and that spirit which indwells within us, once saved, will guide us, will teach us, will keep us on that straight and narrow way. And I would encourage each and every one of us to go through our statements of faith even and to examine further and study further. There are many scripture references alongside those statements of faith which help, um, help and guide us and teach us and to grow in faith as well. A few examples which I'd like to share which kind of echo these, these sentiments. One is contained, I believe, in Galatians chapter 2. In Galatians chapter 2, and we, we know that even we have heard this morning hour, uh, a transformation has to occur where we are new in nature. Uh, as I explain some of the definitions of a change, it's to make or become different, to switch one with another. And in Galatians, Apostle Paul exhorts them in, in chapter 2, verse 20, he says, I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. And so it is not that we would undergo this transformation by ourselves and of ourselves. No, but it is the power of God through Christ Jesus and through his Spirit. He also exhorts Apostle Paul, that is, the Ephesians as well, and I believe it's also in chapter 2 of Ephesians. And it's not of any works for ourselves. God calls us and then expects us to respond in faith. And in Ephesians chapter 2, we can read in verse 8, For by grace are ye saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. And he goes on to say, For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. You see, we cannot become this new creature on our own. All God asks of us 
is to respond to his call. God will then lead us and guide us by his spirit, through his word. As to what we ought to do, if we draw nigh unto God, he will draw nigh unto us. And we ought to allow God to work in our lives to make those changes in our lives. We cannot do it of our own accord and of our own strength, but we must rely on him who giveth all things good. And once we have resolved to change, to allow God to change us, to be more specific, we ought not want to desire those things which we once desired, even as the example of this morning that we heard of, of the butterfly, the caterpillar to the butterfly. Once the butterfly emerges out of its chrysalis, it no longer wants to crawl on the ground. It wants to fly. And that ought to be our mindset as well. We ought not want to drag ourselves down and far be it, may it be far from us that we would ever get muddied with that miry clay or want our garments spotted, which Christ has washed. But we are exhorted to stay on that straight and narrow and to not look back, but look ahead and look forward to where God wants to use us and continue to change us and further mold us and make us closer and closer into that image of his dear son. You see, this is the change that God wants of each and every one of us. For those of us who have already believed, I believe God wants us to leave here changed with a renewed zeal, with a renewed desire and willingness to serve in his vineyard, a refreshed willingness and zeal and desire to reach out to the lost, because there are many. And we are to be his hands and his feet here on this earth. And God wants us each and every day to further conform to the image of his son. And so it is our calling to leave here changed with that renewed zeal and servitude attitude. And for those of us who have not yet committed our lives to our Lord and our Savior Jesus Christ and our God, God wants us to resolve to do something with that seed which I mentioned earlier. That seed which we have all been imparted with in this day, not by any strength of humans, but through God's word and his power. And I'd like to conclude the first half or the second half of the story of those six Judean date palm seeds, which I started earlier. You see, this doctor, an agricultural expert, wanted those seeds not so she can preserve them, not so she can put them on her mantle at home and tell others about them, 
But she wanted those seeds because she wanted to plant them. And that she did, first taking great care to ensure that those seeds would germinate. See, even though they were 2,000 years old, they were preserved miraculously. They were around the Dead Sea area where they found them in a clay jar, nice and dry, the hot and dry climate, the thick atmosphere shielded them from additional or extra cosmic radiation over the last 2,000 years, and they were preserved. So she soaked them in hot water and planted them in a nutrient-rich soil with lots of fertilizer. And what happened a couple months later was that one of those six seeds began to sprout. It sprouted and looked a little sickly at first, but then continued to grow. And that was back in 2015. As of 2022, when I last checked, that tree, that 2,000-year-old Judean date palm seed, is now a 13-foot-tall Judean date palm, which they called Methuselah. And this expert, this doctor, and her colleagues and friends were also able to locate other preserved Judean date palm seeds and have sprouted many of them in the attempt to once again have an entire plantation of extinct Judean date palms. You see, in the time of the Judean date palm about 2,000 years ago or so, and, and even before that, these, these uh, dates were known around the region. And even as the time when Jesus walked the face of this earth, the Romans even knew that these dates were something special. And they included them in various different uh, facets of their diet and medicine, etc. And so it was thought that these would never once again exist. As I mentioned, about 1,500 years ago, they were thought to have gone extinct. But there is hope yet once again for these, as this researcher had it, the desire in her heart to resurrect this ancient species and perhaps the very same dates that our Lord and our Savior Jesus Christ at one time ate as he walked the face of this earth. And so for my friend, just like these date palm seeds were preserved, God has yet preserved his word, the seed which we can read in the parable of the sowers, through thousands of years to continue to be spread and propagated and it is God's desire that you would take that seed, which is his word, and the instructions therein, and that you would not just have them sit nearby you, that you would not just maybe put them in your back pocket for later, but that you would take them and that you would plant them 
in the good ground of your hearts and your souls. That you would water them. That you would take extra care to ensure that these seeds would be blessed by God and would you ever look to him for the increase. And so it is my prayer that we would take the seed of wisdom from God's word, not from man, that we have been given and imparted with today, that we would leave here with it, each and every one of us, and resolve to plant it deep within our hearts. And may we leave here changed in that regard. May we leave with a renewed zeal and desire to serve our God, to be a vine vine dresser in his vineyard, a laborer in his vineyard, an ambassador for him, his hands and his feet, as we walk this pilgrim pathway. And may all praise and honor and glory be to our God. Amen. Thank you, Brother Simon, for serving us from the Word this morning. And uh, as, as Brother Simon was speaking, I thought a little bit about those verses that says, With this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men, and being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. We've talked a great deal this weekend about the change that happens in us. But if you consider the change that our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ went through to be here, what he left, his position, humbling himself, as it says, even unto death. You may be asking yourself the question, so how can I change? I've tried before. It hasn't worked. I never liked that question when I was unconverted and people would ask me, what's holding you back? If I knew, I'd do something about it. Why are you asking me that? But the key is found in these words that we read. Who became of no reputation, humbled himself, and died. Do you remember the story of the Philippian jailer? He had no need for the gospel of Jesus Christ until he himself was ready to give up his own life, to take his own life. And it was then then that that seed found fertile ground and could sprout. Then the work of God could begin. As long as you cling to your own reputation, what other people may say or think about your decision to follow Jesus Christ, as long as you think you may be good enough on your own somehow, you'll be like those seeds we heard about this afternoon, dead, sterile, and lifeless. But if you're willing to die, you can live too. Remember the, the story that was related from this morning by Brother Mike about the caterpillar. 
One had to die so that the other could live. It wasn't possible that the caterpillar and the butterfly could coexist. One had to die. Jesus knew this as well. That's why he came and died so that we didn't have to. We didn't have to suffer that eternity of separation. That was really our right. Instead, he took that upon himself and has now opened the way to life for all.